It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. You ready for this? I'm back. I'm back on another Saturday morning. Hey, guys. Ashley Frasca here. And yeah, it's seven minutes after the hour. It's a little chilly. It's 54 degrees. And looking at Storm Tracker HD radar for Channel 2 Action News right now, there's one little area of North Gwinnett County that is not currently green. The rest of North Georgia, green with some yellow starting to move into Carrollton and Rome. So yeah, it's going to be rainy all day. So I'm really, really sorry about that for most of you. But there's still a lot of things that we can be doing to prepare the yards, prepare the gardens, and be uh, tending to houseplants too. So welcome to the show. Three hours today, of course, taking your calls, 404-872-0750. And I can't wait for this conversation because this impacted just about all of us. Wednesday night, temperatures dipped down to close to 32 degrees in most parts of metro Atlanta. And I bet the best majority of you were scrambling, like me, like my mother-in-law, at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, starting to cover some plants, starting to bring some plants in, and just worried about that chance of frost that Kirk Mellish did warn us about days ahead. Uh, that it was coming. So April 21st, that is awfully late uh, for us to be dealing with frost when you look at the average last frost date temperatures for sure. But nevertheless, I am going to ask Walter Reeves about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Walter has lots of experience with identifying frost damage and letting us know if a plant is going to be okay to rebound or maybe if we've lost it. Unfortunately, I have seen some friends tomato plants over the last couple of days that I don't think are going to make it. Um, that frost was was damaging enough to newly planted tomato plants to where I don't think that they were established enough. But there are some things that you're going to be able to salvage just fine. Um, if they looked a little wilted, you know, some of the, the moisture was just zapped out of the stems and things. So a light watering, you know, the day after, like Thursday morning, was probably not a bad idea. And today, you don't have to worry about that. If you didn't water right after the frost, it's okay. Mother Nature's going to do it for you all day. But yeah, looking back at the last frost date, on average, since 2003 to 2020, um, usually that occurs at the latest over that period of time. April 16th, April 17th uh, for North Metro Atlanta. So, yeah, the 21st is a little late for us to be experiencing that. But I think from here forward, it's headway into summertime. And I'm enjoying a lot of time on the back deck, a lot of time outdoors. And when I'm on the back deck, I eat. I eat. It's just, you know, snacking on something that's homemade. Um, So that got me thinking, and I posted something on the Green and Growing Facebook page about some of my favorite summer snacks, you know, the produce that I just absolutely cannot wait for, and then starting to put together those really good summer meals, pastas and stuff, yes, but having fresh bell pepper to put into some of those dishes, Uh, caprese salad, that is one that I just cannot wait for, fresh tomato, nothing like it, sliced mozzarella, a nice balsamic vinaigrette, and fresh basil leaves. And if you start with nothing in the garden, herbs are the way to go. If you put a rosemary plant in or basil or parsley, that's going to be so easy for you to start from and learn from. And also anything avocado, which we're we're fortunate that we have those imported and they're pretty much good year-round. You always have to buy them a day or two ahead. Don't, Don't you realize that, though? You buy it that day, 
that you plan to use it, and it's never ripe when you need it. So buy it a day or two ahead if you're a meal planner. But um, I had guacamole-flavored chips the other day with homemade guacamole. So that was, you know, that's just what I like. But when you get that fresh produce, you have fresh tomato in there, fresh garlic, red onion, and lime. And I was at Serenby, which I can't wait to share with all of you. Uh, Mickey Gasway and I's trip to Serenby earlier this week. They had avocado lemonade, which sounded so intriguing, and it was really good. It was just a very, very minute taste of avocado lemonade. So I'll, I'll do anything avocado. And then a summer spinach salad. This is a good idea for you guys. Not sure who has success in growing spinach. It's not something I've ever done. It's not something that's commonly called about. But nothing beats making an, a nice salad in the summertime with fresh spinach, strawberries, grilled chicken, Georgia pecans, and a vinaigrette or a blue cheese dressing. It's something so simple. So I want to know some of the ingredients you're most looking forward to as it starts to heat up, whether or not you're growing them yourselves. It's still great to start thinking about that and planning ahead. You know, in the wintertime, we'd be talking about soups and chili and cheese dip. So, no, we're, we're not there. Spring and summer, 404-872-0750 is the number to get into green and growing. And I'll be here all morning long answering your garden questions today. And we're also going to be talking later in the 8 o'clock hour with Pike Nursery starting a butterfly and pollinator garden. That is something that's so easy to do and so fun if you're starting to kind of plan ahead and think of something for the kids to be doing over the summer. Maybe they're still home doing digital learning, but uh, once you've got them for the entire summer, you need a lot to entertain them. And what better to do than help them discover the outdoors and start a pollinator garden. So it just takes a little bit of money up front, but it's really something to be uh, rewarding and watch for too. And there's a lot of websites that are great tools and resources to help you get started. But Pike Nursery is going to tell us kind of exactly what to do, what we need, what plants might be good to get that pollinator garden started. So speaking of gardens, wow, Saren B was incredible. And I'm definitely working on a little piece to share with you on the radio show um, about what all we learned at Saren B. But man, having having a pet in the yard with you. When you're doing yard work, when you're gardening, and if you're on a larger farm, I, you know, you need a barn cat. You need a dog by your side. Like, I've got shadow outside when I'm pulling weeds and trimming hedges back and things like that. But at Serenby, they have a little farm dog named Bruiser, and he's 10 years old. And we were taken on a tour of some of the, you know, parts of the farm. And Bruiser, he's 10, but he led the way. He had done these tours before. He knew his way around that farm like nobody's business. He showed us the way. He has some amazing tricks in the garden, things that they've taught him. But he knows how to walk in between the crop rows. He knows how not to step on, you know, the new crops that they've put in and things like that. And he can scare away a couple of birds that, you know, if they're a little nosy and they're not in the right place. So that was a fantastic experience. And if there's some place that you've been that you need to let us know about and share with the rest of us, do. Because that helps a lot of folks who may be new to Metro Atlanta who don't know these gardens to visit and these amazing places to see. But Serenby, it's a neighborhood, too. If you've heard the name, then you're definitely aware that it's a neighborhood down in Palmetto, almost to Coweta County, um, but just a farm, a, an organic farm, and almost self-sustaining, too. And it's it's got a long-term plan. And a lot of us do that for our lawns as well in our in our landscapes. We have this long-term plan. You can't do everything right away, even though gardeners get a little impatient, and we certainly want to. But just planning ahead, the number of crops 
the land that's available, you know, the long-term um, ideals with a home orchard, with, with trees and things like that. And some are imported from different parts of the country just so they're the, the best stock for pear trees and apple trees and even figs too, which I cannot wait. Fig trees are, are one of the things that really were impacted by the frost. I've noticed some leaves just looking really wilted on some figs that I've seen as well. And I can't wait to plant mine. I just got a Southern Living um, Little Miss Figgy, and it's a dwarf fig. So instead of getting to be 10 feet tall, like some of the ones I saw at Serenby, and they're going to bounce back. They're still going to put on new foliage and new leaves from the frost. But um, this one's supposedly only going to get four to six feet high. So we'll see. I need to find a good place for it and hopefully have some success with figs. Never, never tried figs, never eaten a fig except in a Fig Newton. So I'm really curious how that's going to go. So yeah, 404-872-0750. And of course, we'll be sharing with you throughout the show the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. When it dries out, maybe tomorrow, get around to some of that. So some of you, in response to the Facebook post about fresh produce in the summer, had some great questions about things that you're looking forward to. Fresh tomatoes. And we all know if you're going to try to plant those and grow tomatoes this season, we will be inundated with calls this summer, of course, about the insect infestations that they get, some of the bacterial diseases and rots and things like that, common problems about tomatoes. And just remember crop rotation, too. If you haven't made your plantings yet, how important it is to kind of change the locations of some of these plants as you're, as you're going about. But Joseph had a great comment about what to do with strawberries because he has a nice raised bed with strawberries and really looking forward to that. So I uh, pulled a little bit of information for Joseph. If you're new to strawberries, man, you're in for a really pleasant surprise because they stay evergreen. I've got mine in a hanging basket, but they could certainly use a lot more space because they put off runners. So when you start a strawberry bed, all you need is a small area that receives full sun most of the day. So you're eyeing that spot anyways. That's where most of your fruits and vegetables are going to go. Full sun. And they grow okay in a lot of different types of soil. But of course, the most desirable is just that medium to light texture and well-drained. But it also has to have good moisture holding capacity. So you want it to not dry out like a clay would. You know, when you see the top layer of that soil start to get a little cracked. And when you're doing the mother plant, two feet apart, the first spring that you plant them. And you kind of let the runners fill the bed in for the rest of the summer. Now, if you're serious about really wanting like a large space, five feet, eight feet for these tomato or these um, strawberry beds, you remove the flowers the first year. So later on this year, when you start to get flowers, it's not going to produce any fruit until the second year. That way you're giving the roots time to establish, right? And then avoid planting strawberries where you've had peppers, tomatoes, where they've been growing in the past five years because the strawberries are susceptible to Vercillium wilt and that's going to live in the soil. So kind of be mindful again that that idea of crop rotation. And strawberries require about an inch and a half of water per week. That's kind of what we say about your lawn too. That's pretty standard. So water, if rainfall isn't sufficient up until today, I really can't remember the last time it rained. So keep that moisture level consistent and weeds, of course, are going to be a problem. So mulching, hand-pulling the weeds, that's just the best way to control. And don't forget to mulch. Keep your eyes open for fruit rots, especially during the wet weather. And when you start off and you make the plantings two feet apart like you're supposed to, 
And with tomatoes and pepper plants and okra plants too, same thing. You've got to have that good airflow in between the plants. And that's really going to be your number one defense for rot because you're going to get airflow. Things are going to be able to dry out like they should. So there's some advice for Joseph on strawberries. Can't wait to hear from you. 404-872-0750. We'll be right back at Check of Traffic and Weather next. You're listening to WSB. Thank you, Scott. Okay, so as we discussed, rain is just covering North Georgia right now. So this is kind of a no-brainer. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, thunderstorms possible at times. A high of 72, low of 52. Doesn't really matter. When when it's rainy, you don't really feel the temperature at all. But uh, periods of rain likely heavy at times. Uh, A lull in between rounds at some point today. And then tomorrow and Monday are sunny Highs in the mid to upper 70s. Lows only getting around 50. Again, I don't think we uh, have to worry about that frost any longer. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. I love talking about helping you guys succeed and prepare your uh, vegetable gardens. So number one, plant corn, bean, and pea seeds now. Plant tall growing crops like okra and pole beans and corn on the north side of others. That way you avoid them shading them out. And plant two or more rows of corn for better pollination. If you are that type and you have the room, make a second planting within two or three weeks of the first planting of snap beans, corn, and squash. Number two, be on the lookout for large dirt mounds as you're mowing the lawn, usually found in those sunny areas. That means you got fire ants and it's not too soon for those guys. So the mounds can actually reach seven inches high and 24 inches across. So I don't think that's going to be the run of the mill that you see in your landscape. But just be careful. Broadcast baits work. So when you're going to the nurseries and the big box stores, something like Amdro or something by Ortho, those are going to work just fine. And number three, if the tops of the leaves on your outdoor plants and your shrubs are white and then you lift the underside, it's really important to look at the underside They've got small spots of webbing. You know you've got spider mites. Uh, you can use a horticultural oil, or better yet, you just spray them with a strong stream of water from the garden hose maybe two or three times a week, and that's going to eradicate them. And what made me think to put that on the garden to-do list was Jason Byers, uh, the former producer of this show, sent Walter and I great pictures. I think it was of his kumquat tree. And he is like, what is going on with these leaves? Um, so... He took a picture of the front. They looked kind of powdery, kind of snowy looking. Um, And one of my first thoughts was like a powdery mildew. But yeah, Walter's like, well, we need to see the back of the leaves. So when you look on the underside of the leaves, you see little black spots, but just slight webbing. So that's what the spider mites do. Um, Not really any need for anything like seven dust or anything like that, because that'll actually be a little more harmful in that it'll kill something that would be a natural predator to the mites. So horticultural oil, if you do have it on hand, um, but otherwise just going at it with the the stream of it, you know, and you're not going to beat the plant up. It can, it's tough. It can definitely take it. Um, and then sure enough, a few days later, Jason sent Walter and I pictures of brand new clean green leaves on the Comquat. No more bugs. So it's really nice when you have, you know, natural ways of, of getting rid of things like that. And also good prevention as far as 
mulching, staying on top of gardener's shadow is going to be the best defense for any of those problems that you may have. So again, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and he's actually already on the line, Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, here and I have a lot of questions about how to identify frost damage. So you'll want to listen for that. Walter and I's conversation as you're going about your garden and you have in the last day or so kind of identifying maybe you've got brown tips on some of your leaves. Maybe some of your plants are looking a little wilted. All that kind of thing will be able to kind of help you identify what's damaged and if there is damage, what you're going to be able to salvage. And then Jean and Bremen, she's on hold. We'll actually talk to Jean first right after the newscast. Two hydrangeas for Mother's Day. So maybe she got them earlier they're from last year, but how to keep them alive. So I'm definitely going to detail the difference for Jean. Kind of a florist hydrangea versus a different, you know, outdoor hydrangea that you get at the nursery. There is a little bit of a difference, but you can still be successful with it. So 404-872-0750, the number to get into green and growing here until 9 o'clock. I'm Ashley Frasca. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for uh, being alongside me on a Saturday morning. 635 and about 56 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. So you're uh, preparing yourself already for the rainy day ahead. And a lot of great calls already coming in. 404-872-0750. You get to talk to DeMarco, who is very cheery on a Saturday morning. Always but particularly on Saturday morning. So you're lucky to get to talk to him first. He's just going to ask your name and where you're calling from and kind of what your question or even what your comment is, if you have something that you want to share with other listeners for sure. And Lauren in Woodstock has great questions about how to be successful with starting a garden, strawberries, and what other plants may be a good start. Going from a condo to a house and you just have this realization like, the world is your oyster. You have all this space, all this time, and you want to start some new things. So I'm definitely here to help. But first, the Georgia Gardener, Walter Reeves, is alongside for the segment we do every Saturday at this time. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. He's back with us on Green and Growing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. Good, rainy, soggy morning to you, sir. I heard a rumble of thunder a minute ago. There's rain, lightning, and everything going on outside now. It's crazy today. Wow, really wet. I've got a wedding to go to later. I don't really know how that's going to play out. Not outside. Not yeah, outside. I think there's a plan B. There's got to be a plan B. <laughs> got to be. be. Happy wedding day to my college friend Diana and her husband Brian. It's going to be a beautiful day for them regardless. But uh, sure. Walter, what was not beautiful earlier this week, Wednesday night into Thursday morning, not mm. that long ago, I posted something to the Green and Growing Facebook page, and you used to do the same, reminding folks, hey, hey, Kirk's saying uh, there's oh. a chance of frost. You may want to cover some stuff, and people are yeah. lamenting April 15th is when they put their tomatoes and their peppers out in the garden, <laughs> and then here we had a frost. Like, what date was that? April 21st. Um, not to mention, 
We had a couple of really cold nights back on, I had to look back, March 31st and April 1st as well. So what I want to pick your brain about is identifying frost damage and being able to tell that, you know, on a plant, maybe a hydrangea or your vegetables or something versus knowing if it's something else going on on the plant. It should be pretty easy to tell on uh, frost damage, cold damage, I guess. Yesterday, Wednesday, uh, from the cold Wednesday, I looked about stuff on Friday, and it's amazing that we find didn't see any damage to them, and I had not covered it at all, so I think it's amazing to find. Um, the damage would look like just wilted leaves, and it sort of grazed, and it wilted down quickly after the freeze damage has occurred. Uh, so it's easy to spot. Oh, the same thing with squash and things like that that would come up. On hydrangeas, I don't think there was any damage to them at all. Certainly not in mind. I mean, in the northern part of Georgia, I didn't hear anybody say that their hydrangeas were damaged. And I was just say, again, wilted leaves, blackened leaves, and the top of the plant looking really pretty sad. And that can rebound. Will watering immediately help that? I actually talked to Andrew Longoria, who works, you know, on the Mark Aram show. And he came yeah. into the traffic center Thursday morning, and he got out early Thursday morning and watered his garden, thinking that that would kind of help, I don't know, warm him back up, but kind of give him a jump start. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Water beforehand sometimes helps plants to withstand cold weather because the watering helps the roots when it does recover. When the temperatures warm up the day after a freeze, it helps the roots have enough water available to rehydrate the leaves that have dried out during the night. Because that's how some, some plants protect themselves by drying out the leaves so they have water beforehand <clears throat> on the, uh, in the soil then the plant can rehydrate the next day when it is warmed up. Now, let's hope... We don't have another frost. Here we are, April 24th. That should yeah. not happen again. But for folks to make a mental note when these things happen, and it may get close to 32 degrees, um, how do you properly cover something? Like the things I was most worried about, hydrangea has a little big. Yeah. Uh, my peony has buds all over it. Yeah, Tomato plants. What's the best way to cover those? Do we do it from the top up? Do we do around the base? Mm. All the way to the ground is a big rule. It could be a cardboard box, it could be a sheet, it could be frost cloth you buy from the nursery, it could be any number of things, as long as it's all the way down to the ground. So they trap the earth's heat. That's the key. So cardboard box is fine. Just make sure the sides are all the way to the ground. And there's something scientific if you're using maybe plastic or some kind of cover like that. There's something oh, yeah. scientific to whether or not you use clear or black. Black is better. Black is better. Even though we think of black as being absorbing heat, it actually reflects more heat than it does absorb. And so a clear plastic is bad news because it has a greenhouse effect inside the plastic. It's really hot in there real quickly in the morning when the sun shines. Even though the temperatures may be around freezing, if the sun is shining on something that's clear, like inside your car or inside the plastic or over a plant, it can get up to 40, 50, 60 degrees pretty quickly in the morning. You're right. That's kind of that greenhouse effect. I hadn't thought about it with my windshield, right. but yeah, the inside of the yeah. car gets really hot. It's not necessarily the fact that I have a black car. It's that it's coming in through that clear glass. Yeah, sure is. That's it. Well, I'll be. So as long as you cover things up all the way down to the ground, use rocks or you know logs or whatever you do around the, around the landscape to hold things down, sheets again, work well, and frost cloth and the cardboard boxes, they do fine. And so whether or not you had already planted some of your warm season vegetables prior to Wednesday or whether you maybe plan to do it in the next couple of days, um, what's some advice, Walter, I know that's getting off the frost topic a little bit, but what's some basic garden advice for folks that are popping tomatoes and peppers and squash plants 
into the ground and it's their first time doing it, how deep do they dig the hole? How far do they space them? And do they need to fertilize right away? Not right away. I fertilize sometimes with a long, slow release fertilizer, maybe. I do not use the liquid fertilizers because it's so quickly available. I don't want to burn the roots of young, young, tender plants. But for tomatoes, when I plant mine, I don't dig the big, huge holes two feet deep or anything like that and bury the plant. If I'm going to, if I have a long, leggy tomato plant, I lay it on its side and bury it on its side and then have the end of it poke up out of the ground. That's fine, but you know, I've heard gardeners talk about how they use post hole digs to dig a hole two feet deep or something. That's crazy. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> so tomatoes, I use this space line out about two feet or so apart from each other, depending on how many states I want to use and how it supports the I'm going to use the tomatoes. For squash, three feet apart is about right. For beans, a couple of feet apart is about right. You can look at the seed pack. You can just tell how far apart it's facing. And peppers and okra, they don't get near as big as tomato plants. Right. So peppers about a foot apart. Okra, they can get big depending on what variety you use. So okra, so I use a couple of feet of the big ones. The Crimson spineless okra is a pretty big plant. So two feet for that kind of big plant. You know, that is neat that you mentioned how you bury the tomatoes because um, I learned that last year when I started tomato seed and took them out of the seed trays when they were big enough and kind of repotted them in their each own individual smaller pots and knowing that I could bury it all the way up to the bottom set of leaves because that stem grows the little hair-like fibers that then become roots. So really, that's just making more roots for the plant, which is going to make it stronger, right? That's true. That's the theory behind digging the deep, deep holes. But you you reach a maximum. After you go down about six inches, the soil doesn't have enough air for the roots to breathe. So you don't want to go any further than six inches, I think, with holes for tomatoes. But you're right for your little bits like that. Sure, you can bury them up to the first set of leaves, and they'll make roots all along the stem. Getting back to uh, the first thing I, I asked you about, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place today, but the frost recently from Wednesday night. Uh, like uh-huh. we said, we're out of the woods, probably, but you've done a little <laughs> bit of research to try to find kind of the average last frost date of the year. Like I said, for a general rule of thumb, gardeners really think tax day, April 15th. But what yeah. what have you found in your research? Earlier in April is usually, is usually that's what usually in there, usually the last uh, frost date. There was one back in 1983, I think, where it was frosted on the 20th, on the 21st, like we had this earlier this week. So you can have late frost in April, but generally speaking, mid to early April is when you have your last frost, April 15. Like Mickey Gasway says, April 15 on tax day is a safe day to place your tomatoes usually. Wow, isn't that amazing? They keep records that far back. Yeah, man, you got to be sure. And, you know, what? You, you know, I'll talk a little bit about hardening stones, Ashley. Okay. Because some people have asked me about where do we live in the plant labels, of course, say this plant is hardy to zone 7 or sort of 8 to zone 9. And I had somebody recently ask me if a pineapple would go outside <laughs> in Atlanta. And I said, no, honey, they will not go outside in Atlanta in the wintertime. USDA, the Department of Agriculture, has divided the country into several zones about how cold it gets in the wintertime. And Atlanta and Georgia have been divided into two. Zone 7 is Atlanta and up, and zone 8 is Atlanta and south. So you can say, generally speaking, we could plant most everything as as hard as zone 7, we'll be fine. It won't get frozen in the wintertime. And if you live south of Atlanta, down to Jonesboro, down to Macon, you know, McDonald, places like that, even zone 8 plants will be fine down there. 
Yeah, so all someone needs to Google is like plant hardiness zone or hardiness yeah. zone map, and you come up yeah, with exactly. that map designated by the USDA. So the lower the number, like three, that's way up extreme. It's cold. Uh, yeah, North it's America. And then 11, 10, 11 is like the southern tip of Florida, southern yeah, tip Key of West, Texas. Miami, yeah, yeah, totally different plants than what we're able to do um, in Georgia. So that is really good to know if someone on a lot of these Facebook gardening pages that I'm on, folks from, you know, around the country will usually ask, I love that flower. I love that plant. Am I able to plant that? Well, really, like right. you said, it's all so, told in the plant label. You know, one more thing to mention is that folks might not know is that Georgia has this great system of weather stations. There's a free free website, georgiaweather.net, georgiaweather.net, and you can find out what are the prevailing temperatures, for the winds, soil temperatures, all sorts of things that are very useful for gardeners. The historical data, grassing data, uh, wind, you know, last week, last year, average wind speed, all that kind of stuff is really useful sometimes. It's georgiaweather.net. I use it frequently. That's a great website from the University of Georgia. Great. Well, Walter, I feel good about our conversation. I really feel like I think a lot of listeners are breathing a sigh of relief that you gave them yeah. some good news. That one night, Wednesday night, was not a killer. It was chilly, but it didn't kill many things, I don't think. That's great news. Okay, and you talked about a pineapple. I want to revisit that with you sometime. Maybe later on this month yeah. we need to make a note to talk about whether or not we can grow a pineapple. I'd be curious to talk to you about that. Sure. I said so soon. All right, we'll do it. Walter Reeves, thank you so much for being on the show this morning and getting up early. Go back to sleep. See you later, Gator. See you next time. All right. You're listening to Green and Growing. Up next, the top three things to do in the landscape this soggy weekend on 95.5 WSB. Talking to Jean and Bremen about her hydrangeas, Lauren and Woodstock about starting a garden, but first a couple of housekeeping uh, items brought to you by Finley Roofing, the weather update from Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. Rain and thunderstorms at times today. There may be a lull in between, but generally rain covered all day. And right now, all of North Georgia is uh, green on Storm Tracker 2 HD radar. So a high of 72, low of 52, but sunny. We get some relief Sunday and Monday with highs in the mid to upper 70s. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, here they are. As promised, number one of the tops of the leaves on your outdoor plants and the shrubs starting to look a little white, but you look on the underside and they have salt, small spots of webbing and little black dots. You've got spider mites already. You can use a horticultural oil, but even easier when you get out there with a water hose and you're already watering some other things, just use a strong stream from the hose maybe two or three times a week. That will eradicate spider mites. Number two, be on the lookout for large dirt mounds, usually found in sunny areas. Watch out as you're mowing the lawn and gardening. You've got fire ants. So a broadcast bait, something made by Amdro or Ortho, is going to be okay for the treatment of fire ant mounds. And number three, you can plant corn and beans and pea seeds now. Tall growing crops that, that get a little bushier, a little higher, okra, pole beans, corn. Put those on the north side of other vegetables. That'll avoid them getting shaded out. Plant two or more rows of corn for better pollination if you've got the room. All right. We're going to talk to Jean and Bremen. Good morning. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Hey. Uh, my daughter got me two 
white hydrangeas yesterday for Mother's Day. Okay. And uh, I want to know the best way to plant them and how to keep them white. Okay. So, yeah, generally those florist hydrangeas are maybe in six or eight inch, you know, pots. And you can keep them inside, let them flower, let them do their thing. They can hold blooms for four to eight weeks as long as they're treated right. But then, Well, these is big. They're done in full bloom. It's a big plant. Oh, good. So you have an outdoor hydrangea. Yes. Okay, great. So really, you need to make sure that you know what your soil pH is, Gene, because that's really going to determine whether or not they stay white. Um, do you already have other hydrangeas in the landscape? Yes, ma'am. I've got them everywhere scattered in the all, but I had I've never had a white white ones. I've got the blue, and then these it gets mingled purple looking. I've got some that's solid purple, but I've I've never seen white when I've seen these and had a fit, and she got me two of them. That's going to be fantastic. And so, so are you planting them this weekend? Well, not today, <laughs> <laughs> but. I will get them out, but uh, it don't give a lot of information on the tag, and I don't know. Some of mine's the old ones that I've got, the old-timey blue ones. They're in the sun. Some of them's not, but I want to know if these needs to be in the sun all day or just part sun. Well, any hydrangea generally, oh, shoot, I just... Oh, my computer just restarted. Oh, no. Um, generally, hydrangeas, they like morning sun. Morning sun is going to be best for them. They can take that, and then, you know, as it really heats up in the afternoon, they're they're better not having that bright, direct sun. Mm. Um, so morning sun somewhere, you know, more of the eastern part of your yard is going to be best for those. Maybe even, you know, under oak trees or under something else or real close to cypress or something like that. So. Well, what kind of fertilizer? I mean, I just miracle grow my other. Sometimes I'll put out five, ten, fifteen around some of them, but I want to know how to really take care of these. That's going to be just fine. Honestly, any general purpose garden fertilizer is going to be just fine for hydrangeas. And keep in mind when you fertilize too when they're in active growth you know so now in the growing season is when you want to fertilize read the label but you don't really have to do too many applications um, and then make sure they stay watered too gene and at the base of the plant when we go through these dry spells coming up uh -huh. you know and they're not getting rain for maybe two weeks or something watering at the base of the plant and i water mine in the evenings i know some people just really are staunch you know firm believers in watering in the morning but i'm here in the morning so i water kind of right at dusk and water at the base of the plant and they do just fine so um but don't fertilize right as you're installing them go ahead and let them adjust a little bit let the roots settle in and adapt and then well, yeah would, would uh work miracle grow dirt in there with them when i plant them don't amend the hole too much because what you don't want to do is, you know, you create this really happy hole, this nutrient-rich hole, and that's great, you think, but the roots are going to keep stretching further and further out, and they're going to get out of that really comfortable, really rich hole, and then all of a sudden the roots are going to hit, you know, the Georgia red clay and go, oh, wait, this isn't near as nice. So you don't want to amend the hole too much, but you can certainly put some soil conditioner in there. Break up the dirt really well that you've dug out 
and then you know backfill the hole with that a little bit of soil conditioner um, not fertilizer yet don't don't put fertilizer in the hole yet and you're going to be off to a great start Gina you've got a green thumb I know you're going to make that hydrangea perfectly happy what a thoughtful gift from her daughter two white hydrangeas and we'll go over that coming up just after seven o'clock determining the color of a hydrangea how you change it and all of that we're going to step out for news weather and traffic and we'll be back to green and growing on WSB When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.